Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Roos, and I am here today with Molly McGrath. Thanks for coming on, Molly. Thank you for having me. So I'm super excited to have Molly here. One of the things that's come up on a lot of the, the other podcasts, especially with some of the people that have been really successful in moving their law firms forward, is it seems that most of the successful firms have hiring figured out. On the contrast, we've run into some conversations with people, especially that are working with solos, is there's this thing called the hero syndrome, where a lot of people end up holding on to things for too long. And surprise, surprise, most of those people are in the same place one year, three year, five years from now than they are today. So I was super excited to find Molly while I was searching on the internet. She is the founder of Hiring and Empowering Solutions. And um, as the name implies, she's been working with hiring and empowering law firms with their next hires. So um, thanks again, Molly. I usually like to start the show off with a bit of a background story. So sort of an interesting business you found yourself in. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, the journey to how you got here? I love when I get this question about my backstory and how I got to where I am today, 22 years later. I'm always fascinated about how I got to where I am. So long and short of it is when I moved from New York to Denver, I applied for a position in the Denver Post way back when people applied for positions in the newspaper. And I was fortunate enough to land in a national organization that did technical, legal, and software training for attorneys, by and large, estate planning attorneys across the country. And one of the positions that I applied for was a practice development advisor. And I was teamed up with a national coach way back when, when coaching wasn't even a street term, especially in the legal space. And we started a practice building program for small solo law firms across the country. And every 90 days, we'd go into a conference and speak in regards to business building, team development, all the typical best practice approach things that attorneys are so very hungry and desperate for. And the conversation came up about building a team always. It always leads to, it's so difficult to find good employees. A business would be great, but for employees struggling with hiring, firing, retaining quality superstar employees. And we started really breaking this down and sharing our experience of what my mentor and my quote unquote boss who owned a law firm as well as was a national coach and speaker walking through our process of how we built his practice and the mindset, the emotional intelligence, the clarity around roles, goals, and him opening up his practice and sharing with me his vision and values that he wanted in regards to building his business. And we'd speak on this, like I said, across the country. We'd get off stage. I'd walk to the restroom and I would get bombarded by law firms across the country saying, how did you learn how to do this? Talk to us about how we can clone you. How can we find that? It really truly became, how can we find a Molly? And from there, I realized that there was a niche and, and there was absolutely a desperate need as well and spent the time to unpack the process that we went through. And then it evolved into creating a hiring business because I just would support it 
attorneys across the country, give them tips, techniques, help them with their hiring for new employees, and then also how to re-engage and empower their existing employees. And from there, it really was the breeding ground for hiring and empowering solutions. All right. Awesome. Well, that's super interesting. <laughs> similar kind of question always comes up. Uh, I think the, the first thing that most people, and I'm sure this might be similar for you, Molly, is, is you know, were you a law firm owner at some point? I'm in the same boat as somebody who kind of came into this from a different place. But um, you've probably at this point worked with more law firms and hiring organizations than almost any attorney on the planet, I'd probably guess. But um, that's super interesting. So, Bring it back to sort of the early days, a bit of a change of context, because I mean, typically when people were working with this coaching organization, the hiring was kind of a facet of everything that came up. But somebody who might be coming today could be coming from a totally different set of, of circumstances. So what do you think is important for people that are starting the hiring journey? What do you need to know besides the actual goal that needs to be made of hiring someone? That's the one biggest mistake that I see law firms and business owners making is they get seduced by the resume. So they'll typically do their sourcing and their vetting process based on resumes. So they immediately go to skill set, knowledge, the typical resume indicators. And I always say, don't judge people by that because people that are putting their resumes out there, they're not professional copywriters. They're not professional editors. They don't know how to sell themselves to speak into the specific needs of the job posting. And we always lobby really, really hard to use our five-minute phone interview process. It's posted on our website for anyone who wishes to use it and talk to people and hire from a place of emotional intelligence, from mindset, from confidence, because those human traits, if you will, are very, very difficult to train unless you're a professional psychologist on staff and or coach. It's going to dump a tremendous and endless hours into developing the confidence and the mindset and the leadership and the drive and those attributes that really define a key superstar employee, regardless of what position they fill. And also that we always say that they come with batteries included. So you're able to retain them because we all know that the average hire, there's many different studies. The latest that I saw, the average hire costs you $46,000. And if they're not around six months later and you have to go through that process, obviously it becomes quite expensive. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. And, you know, a little bit more than most people would probably bargain for when they're, you know, setting up their, <laughs> they're setting up their job posting <laughs> on Indeed or whatever it is. But yeah, you mentioned superstars, which I think is a really interesting concept to kind of talk on that a little bit. When you've got somebody who's maybe starting to make the first hire in their organization, how do you usually recommend somebody get that? Is, and I guess at what point would somebody start needing to really look for a superstar employee? Great question. We talk about this in both of our books extensively in regards to when to hire and then how to hire and who to hire. So I always tell people when I get I get phone calls all day long, when you feel yourself that you're beginning to resent the practice, you feel like you own a job, you feel like you're working so very hard, but you can't get off of that hamster wheel. And we all know it. It's typically in your gut when you're starting 
starting to feel that your frustration, you're strung out, you're stressed out, you're exhausted, you're missing family events, you're working seven days a week, that's when you know it's time to hire. And I know everyone's going to say this is the number one pushback that I get. Well, I'm not getting a paycheck, so how the heck am I going to afford this person? And there is a way because you're leaving so much opportunity and money on the table with your existing clients, your potential new clients, in addition to opportunities that you can't get to, to building the business. So when I get that phone call, you have to check in with where you're at and check your temperature. And if you feel like you can't catch your breath and you're constantly in the weeds and it's Groundhog Day every day and you feel like you own a job, that's your number one indicator that you need to hire. And you just need to acknowledge that and accept that and really be able to name it. And then from there, there are many resources out there to figure out how you're going to afford them and the how-to of going about hiring. But I always say that's your number one one step of when you know it's time to hire. It's not based on your revenue. There's so many studies out there when you're making X amount of dollars, when you can pay, you know, you have three times their salary and savings. It's all hogwash. You have to pay attention because if you can't get off the hamster wheel and you can't get out of the administrative assistant and wearing all the hats, you're never going to get to that pivotal point of getting over that financial hill to be able to afford them. Yeah, that's a really interesting point too, because it's something that comes up when we're speaking with attorneys about their marketing situation. Like a lot of the times the stuff that you'd read in a study or maybe a business school textbook or something like that, you know, if you're dealing with a publicly traded company, they're talking about the uh, the year or the quarter, but the reality for small businesses and law firms are no different is, you know, a lot of times it's month to month, week to week, or even day to day. And, you know, <laughs> tough pill to swallow if you're living in that Groundhog Day situation to wait until the end of the calendar. But um, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I was, so we've got somebody who's, who's made that decision. They're deciding to go ahead and cross the Rubicon. And you could probably, yeah, there's, you know, when you have the, the Superman solo attorney or Superwoman, uh, they're kind of wearing all the hats. So what direction do you generally recommend people go in as far as who to hire out first and how to start building that out? I have an awesome exercise that is so very simplistic and highly, highly impactful and effective. What I tell people when they call me and I finally get their buy-in, they say, okay, I'm waving the flag. I get it. I'm ready to hire. What I have them do is track everything they touch for an entire week. Just take out an old school yellow legal pad and write down everything that you touched in order of introduction. Client answered the phone, did client emails, met with the client in the conference room, reviewed a marketing piece of content, whatever it might be. And look at that for five days, Monday through Friday. That's it. You don't have to timestamp it, not how much time you spend on it, not interested in that. And then from that place, what I tell them to do is circle the things that are sucking the life out of you that you absolutely despise that you have to do. Answering the phones or it might be copying and scanning documents and putting them into uploading them. For some people, if you're highly entrepreneurial and not very analytical and technician, it might be drafting documents documents and doing more of the paperwork. It'll tell you where your power is and where your unique ability and what things are. Typically, people are in two camps. It's either about the paper or about the people. And from there, if you keep it that simple and see where you really need help, if you do a lot of the personality assessments, the Colby assessments, Strength Finder, and if you don't know which one you gravitate more towards, maybe invest in taking some of those assessments out there. And it'll tell you if you're more of a people 
and relationship person or you're more analytical and um, more of a paper person. The misconception is that when people are entrepreneurs and they own a business, well, of course, you have to, especially in the personal service industry, you're a people person. You very much, that's what you're selling is relationships. I'm so amazed at how many attorneys are really are not, especially if they're doing more of the transactional work and they're not litigators in the courtroom, et cetera. And sometimes it might be that you do need to hire a people person, somebody who's going to be your director of first impressions, your client service coordinator, dealing with the clients. And then you can just be the brain surgeon that walks in and do a lot of the issue spotting in the legal ease. Or it might be that you're just as outgoing extrovert. You want to be with the people. You'd rather smash your head through a wall than work on documents and computers and paper. Then you know that you need to hire a paper pusher, a processor. And it really does come down to that simple exercise in the beginning. And then you could get into the nitty gritty of job descriptions, et cetera. Yeah. So there's basically no answer, you know, blanket. It's kind of a situation where the best answer for you is the person who's hiring. So I wanted to ask you a question about something that comes up here and there, but the person that can't let go of the work. So a lot of, I mean, I don't want to make any sort of um, psychological assessments of people, but there seems to be a certain type that's um, of the opinion that they're the best person to do a given job. I'm sure this comes up all the time for, for you, Molly. So what kind of thoughts do you have around that, that sort of thing? And, and maybe the, uh, I guess the, the mindset around potentially letting go of something that's critical to your business. That's a phenomenal question because I'd like to say that every business owner, they're fearful to let go of control which of course is the truth in the beginning until you could get proof of concept. I hired this person and I see that they have their eye on the ball of their roles, their goals in all areas of the business and I've hired them to accomplish and now I really can let go. So I go focus on generating revenue opportunities, et cetera. I always say, regardless, everyone's in that position in the beginning, especially if it's your first hire. If you're more that analytical paper pusher person, I do tend to see that they white knuckle and hold on a little bit longer because they're very analytical and they want to see everything, especially in a law firm before it goes out the door. My piece of advice and what we lobby really hard for in our Team Empowerment Academy is to lock arms with your new employee. And if you have a structure where you are meeting with them every week and you're following some of the strategies that we have in our book, too, in regards to outlining their roles and goals and making certain they're very specific, measurable. And this is a part that people say, yeah, 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 we do that. But the part that they miss is circling back around and maybe having a daily huddle or a two or three time a week huddle where the employee can come back and they can present to you what they did and they can come with proposed solutions and or you can review and give them your input or two millimeter shifts or pivots that you see or where they may have missed something. That's the biggest piece of really having the confidence to let go of control when your new hire can come to you and show you over and over and over again that they have understood what your standards and your goals are, number one. But number two, that when they're coming to you and saying, hey, why are we doing it this way? Here's some suggestions for efficiency. Or can I add some insight where I think that we can improve and or enhance the system process? What 
whatever it might be that we're doing. When attorneys hear that and they start to hear terminology like our clients and start to hear this new employee or existing employee using terms like we, that's when the confidence starts to get there because they see that the employee has made this shift from employee mentality to an entrepreneur mentality where they see it as their just as much as their business. They no longer just look at it as a job. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, just hearing that Molly, I'm starting to think how much my life would be easier if I had a couple of those people in, uh, in my business. But kind of folding back to one of the things you mentioned earlier about sort of hiring for fit. What do you think is the interaction between stuff that you're doing as a law firm for potentially setting these as norms or any process for onboarding versus how much is that is what people are bringing to the table before you even make that hiring offer? So say a little bit more about that. Do you think that that entrepreneur mindset, is that something that you're kind of selecting for or is it something that you can more or less build in in somebody that you're hiring? Mm, Great question. So I think they're typically people have that. They just don't know that they have that. So when you go through that interviewing process and you use some really powerful interview techniques versus just interviewing from the resume that we talked about a little bit earlier, and you start to ask some powerful questions in the way that they handle certain situations, and you take different fact patterns, very much like you do in your case studies in your law firm, and interview from that place and ask them situational things, how they would handle it, how they would go about it. You will see indicators that a person really has an entrepreneur mindset, that they are a leader and or a driver, and they may be aware of it or not aware of it. Nonetheless, if they have the DNA and the hardwiring of it, and then you have a culture of onboarding and training and a culture of coaching, then you can cultivate that and up-level it for them. But I do see it is quite honestly black and white of people that just want a paycheck and have employee mentality and somebody who does have that superstar entrepreneur mentality. But it all depends on you as the entrepreneur, as an interviewer, to have very powerful questions and to have active listening and to know what you're looking for. Like I said, when you ask some questions about certain situations, whether it was problematic or troublesome or crisis situation, how they handled it, or if it was a situation that gave them a blank white page to be able to bring their creativity and their ideas for creating systems process, whatever your needs are and your pain points, be really aware of them. You know, we have no processes. We have no intake process for, we have no follow-up process for PNCs, whatever your pain points are, bring those situations to them and just ask them really powerful questions and pay attention to the wording that they use. And it, like I said, it is black and white in regards the difference of employees that'll give you one words and they won't elaborate. They won't get excited about it. They won't be engaging about it versus an entrepreneur who will, even their body language will shift. They'll sit up straight. They'll start to get more expressive with their hands and they'll start to go on a soapbox, if you will, about how proud they are of something they've done in their past or something they've been chomping at the bit that maybe wasn't available in their previous positions that they're just desperate and really hungry 
for an environment to unleash them and give them that freedom and opportunity and permission to be able to be part of the creation of something. Yeah, that's super powerful. And to kind of think about the, you know, these qualities of a superstar, it's funny because I think on some level, you'd probably be able to hire whoever you want. You know, there's seven-ish billion people in the world. You can probably find, there's enough superstars to go around. But do the priorities change at all? Because I could imagine, you know, the more, I guess the less processed, maybe the less mature a business is, probably the smaller, the more, you know, the smaller law firm is, it's probably more important to kind of have that all-rounder superstar type person. Does that priority ever change, especially as a law firm grows? Like, is there a point at which you no longer need superstars? Like you could technically have a staff person, or is that just not something, you know, is that something that we're accepting that we don't have to accept at any time? Oh, that's a great question. As you grow, as you evolve uh, and build your business, not everyone needs to be a superstar. And I do talk about this quite often. For example, you may have a bookkeeper or somebody who's more a silo. Their job is just to do bookkeeping, payroll, etc. Those positions, they're not typically superstars per se. They're very, very skilled and they're very, very knowledgeable and very good at what they do. But for definition purposes, a superstar of somebody who is able to be a jack of all trades, so to speak, and be able to pivot on a dime as you're growing a business and resources are slim. And you might be the marketing coordinator one day and the client service coordinator the next day. That's the essence of a superstar. But as you grow, not everyone needs to be a superstar. You're very, very clear on your role and the job that you need them to fulfill. So, so often when we debrief, with attorneys after they do interviews, they'll say, you know, uh, she didn't really have a pizzazz. She didn't feel like she was very good at multitasking. That's a word that people sling around so often. But then when we anchor them back to the job and what they need and what the revenue potential is available for this person taking it off the entrepreneur's desk, what the KPIs are, and you start anchoring it to data and you start anchoring it to the job descriptions and what the key performance indicators are, make a decision from that place. And it's quite okay that they're not a quote unquote superstar. Typically, the superstar is needed as in the infancy stage of the business when you're building it. So often we hear from people, I was hired as X and a week in and I now I am X, Y, and P. And that's when a superstar says that and they say, I love it. I feel honored that I'm able to be here at the ground floor building this thing and they don't resent it. So when you don't have a superstar, they say, I was hired to do blah, blah, blah. Or they say, I wasn't hired to do that. I'm out of here. And that's really the distinction. So as you grow and you start operating from organizational charts, you start having employee handbooks and start to really be standardized and systematized. Not everyone's going to be a superstar, but that's fantastic because it means you have very clear job descriptions. You have very very clear needs and standards for that person. And they can literally be plunked into their track and just stay in their own lane and focus there. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And there might be some non-superstars out there. Uh, I don't know if they'd be listening to this podcast, but uh, it's good to know there's a place for everyone in uh, this world we live in. So I wanted to ask you about a couple, you know, somewhat emerging trends, and I'd probably consider these a little bit related and how they might affect to these different things we're talking about, about getting things done, building a culture, that sort of things. And, and that would be virtual and slash or remote work and uh, potentially hiring people part-time. How do these factor into some of the cultures that you might have been brought in with or you've, you've spoken to uh, different people that you're working with? The virtual conversation is uh, there's an absolute groundswell around that more and more as we move into the digital age. The virtual model works very well. Again, if you are talking about the silo perspective that they're just going to be drafting documents or maybe doing bookkeeping or accounting where their job description is clear, concise, well communicated. And like I said, in a very straight lane, if you will, that model works works very, very well. And many firms I'm seeing that they are gravitating towards that either as a permanent position. So the example is bookkeeping and or drafting. And in addition, as a backup plan, should somebody go out on maternity leave, they quit or accidents happen, what have you, that model works very, very well for transactional as well. Part-time, I'm not a fan of part-time positions. And I say this all the time to people, if it's going to be part-time, then be very, very clear that they are just, again, doing that silo model. Because what I find for the firms I've been talking to for 22 years, when they talk about problematic employees never being able to get consistency or get ahead, the common denominator is part-time employees. And here's why, because if say, for example, it's an eight-hour workday and you just want to bring someone in for four days or four hours in a day, when they come in tomorrow, they're spending basically a good chunk, 50, if not 60% of their time trying to catch up on what occurred while they were gone yesterday. So they're never in a place of being able to plan their work and work their plan on a path of growth. They're a part-time employee is always, always in the role of playing catch up. And they're just dealing with whatever the emergency or fire is in front of them. And from our perspective and from what we have seen in all the years of working with law firms, that's a common denominator of why people can't get ahead and cannot get traction in their firm. I'm kind of hearing some stuff that that's actually reminding me of things that have happened in my business in the past. And it's a very, very good point. You know, you hear these things that all these studies about switching costs and whatnot, and I can definitely connect the dots on, on how that could, but you know, obviously, you know, getting the experience that you've had is that's a pretty validation, a big validation of that theory. So, Molly, we're kind of coming towards the end of the time here. You've alluded to a couple different resources as we've been having this conversation. And I think if anyone's interested, could you kind of share maybe what the next steps would be for someone who might be looking to, to go on this journey? Indeed. So a few resources that I'll just throw out there for tips and techniques is number one, we've been blogging since 2008 on everything in regards to hiring, firing, team empowerment, leadership, communication. So I would highly recommend that you join our blog. It's free, hiringandempoweringsolutions.com. And if you go there, you can just join our blog and get it in your email box. Always about value creation in all things hiring 
and empowering and leadership amongst your team. I would also recommend as you begin the hiring process that I spoke about a few assessments and the two that are pretty easy and cheap to implement within your firm, especially if you have a bigger firm, is number one, the Colby, K-O-L-B-E dot com and taking the A index. And we can have that link in the bottom of the show notes as well. That assessment's 50 bucks. We've been using it for over 20 years. You can read all the different organizations and companies across the world that have been using that assessment. And that is to test how people problem solve and how they take action when it comes time for fight or flight and they're backed against the wall. So it really will, in a nutshell, tell you about if people are more highly analytical and more of a processor and paper type of candidate and or if they are more the people candidate and they're more of a follow through in a quick start. Phenomenal uh, assessment. Like I said, 26 questions, 50 bucks. You can't go wrong. You can have your existing employees and absolutely the entrepreneur will take that to be able to build a balanced team that complements everyone on the team based on their roles and goals. A second one that I would recommend, and these are the two assessments by and large that we use in all of our vetting and hiring process. The second one is the Gallup Strength Finder, and that is strengthgallup.com. And there's a couple assessments and books and things you could do there, but you want to take the Strength Finder. It's $19.99. It measures their top five strengths. There's some that are measured their 30 to 100. I think it's overkill. You just basically want to get their top five strengths. And again, there's many resources to tell you if they're a good fit. And I would have everyone in the firm take that as well. I'd be happy to offer to anyone here that's listening today, if they want to take those assessments and shoot me over their scores, I'd be happy to offer a complimentary call to go over them with them. Oh, that's super generous. And then uh, what would be the best uh, way for them to get in touch, Molly? They could email me at molly at hiringandempowering.com. All right. Awesome. Well, um, Molly, thank you so much for that offer, first of all, but also um, this has been a super um, fertile conversation. Uh, I know that I'm going to be chewing on Molly's concepts uh, probably for the better part of the day. And uh, if if anyone, this is one of those uh, episodes I'll I'll probably recommend you listen to twice. So um, thanks again, Molly. And uh, for the rest of you guys, we'll have you here next week on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode. 